is Bridging the Gap with Love, episode 28, The Forgotten Adoption Option with Marcy Bursack. I'm Heidi Brower, a birth mom. And I'm Jessica Johns, an adoptive mom. And this is a podcast about adoption. As we share our own experiences and the stories of others, we hope to provide support for those in the adoption world and educate others on the joy and grief of adoption. Welcome back, listeners. We are so excited today to have with us one of our special guests. November is National Adoption Awareness Month, and so we are so excited this month to have more interviews with people who are in all different facets of the adoption world. And today we have a very special guest. Her name is Marcy Bursack, and she has a mission and a passion for this topic that we're going to talk about tonight. So I'm so excited that she is here with us. Marcy, will you just tell us a little bit about yourself just to get us started? Yeah, I am so excited to be here. And National Adoption Month is actually really special to me because I, during the pandemic two years ago, we all got those stimulus payments and my husband and I were like, what are we supposed to do with this money? Like we're both employed. So I actually used one of the checks to fund writing my first book, The Forgotten Adoption Option, which we'll talk about. And it launched in November. So this is like a super special month, but I am an adoptive mom of a sibling pair. By day, I have a career. Uh, I just really felt like there are, and I know there are 115,000 more children, just like my own that don't have their forever family and just kind of became awakened. And my heart just kind of grew for continuing to help kids just like mine find their families. I love that so much. I cannot wait to hear more about your story. And I love that that's what you did with your stimulus check, because I'm going to be honest, we bought some games. So, <laughs> but I, the gamers that made it, it's okay. That's right. You that's right. In the long run. That's right. I s- s- helped with the stimulus anyways. So uh, we're really excited. So tell us about your journey to adoption through the foster care system. Like how did your story begin? Okay. So most people, and I've learned this by doing this and I've learned this by, cause I, know I coach other families through this. Uh, most families that are like, I want to adopt. And this can be like single person, married person, whatever, like the blend is. It takes us five years to go from the first seed of like, I think I want to do this to actually doing it. So that literally is like my story to the T. Um, my husband and I, I had a crush on him in high school, fast forward 10 years. He's finally single. He's not dating that girl anymore. We hook up, we get married really fast. And before we get engaged, I explained to him, Hey, just so you're aware, maybe this is a deal breaker. I don't want to have biological children. And he was like, okay. And I'm thinking, okay, he's going to like break up with me. This is going to be really cool. Great. Glad I met this really cool guy. And he was like, well, actually I want to adopt too. And I was like, what? I had just gotten back from serving in Western Europe on a missions trip. I had been with teenagers who were voluntarily dropped off at the orphanage by their families because the families couldn't afford to care for their children. And it was a very, I I just remember leaving. I was like an early 20 something person at the time. And I just remember thinking, gosh, like, I want to bring these girls back with me. Like, I I have to do this. Like, I, I, this is just, I, I know, I know that I could help care. Right. And my husband has a different view of the story. His grandfather, Sam, grew up in the 1920s, actually here in St. Louis. And when Sam was around age seven, um, so 1920s healthcare is like a whole different animal. There's not a lot of medicine for things at that point. Sam's mom and dad, within a few months of one another, both end up with pneumonia and die. And Sam has two older siblings. So there's three kids total. They're all orphaned. And there's a family that owns um, a farm. And because the two older siblings can work the farm, they're adopted 
leaving Sam to the streets. So Sam grows up as you could just paint the picture in your head, right? This kid who has come from loss and trauma, who was unwanted, right? He he's hard around the edges, right? And um, fast forward for his story, he would beg for food. He would sleep in the back of grocery stores. It's a pretty terrible, just sad story. But the story is one day he knows the police so well because of his lifestyle choices. Imagine, imagine someone growing up in the streets and having all these problems. Like, of course they do, right? In the back of the police's car one day. And the man says, listen, Sam, like we got to stop doing this. So here's the plan. There's a church over there and I'm going to drop you off at the church. And you're either going to go in and you're going to be a changed man, or we're just going to have to see behind bars next time. Like this is it. From what I understand, he opens the church doors and there is a woman teaching. He ends up marrying the woman. Like, wow. Crazy story. So my husband before after school goes to grandpa Sam's house. And so like Sam's such a vital part of his story. And so I say all that because when we talked about, well, I want to adopt as we navigated that, you know, there's three different ways to adopt. There's infant, there's international, and then there's foster care adoption. And my husband said, I am hundred percent on board with adoption, but they have to be older kids. And I was like, that's what I want is older kids. And he said, right, but they need to be from our own backyard. So it took us like five years to demystify all this. Cause whenever we all, I don't know, maybe you do too. When you think of foster care, you think, oh, I'm going to like insert myself in someone's life. They're going to go back. Maybe they'll stay with me. And that's not actually true. Um, in the foster care system, kids do enter it and about 60% of them return to their biological family. But then there's this 115,000 that they didn't return. In fact, they never will legally return. And they're just stuck in foster homes until people like you and me adopt them. And so we happened upon it. It was actually during National Adoption Month. The church we were at did something called Orphan Sunday. There's also something called Stand Sunday, which focuses more globally on the orphan crisis. We found information from a local agency. We got trained. Um, we actually had applied for a different set of siblings because my husband and I, we talked about like what ages, right? And like how many? And he was like, listen, I want small family. And I was like, but I want big family. And so he said, I will do a maximum of two children. And I was like, awesome, but we're going to do siblings. Cause like, who doesn't like, I had siblings and I couldn't imagine being separated. So our journey, kind of the points from there are, um, we went through training and then we actually interviewed for a different group of siblings that someone we knew had, these kids had gone um, through the adoption process once, but the adoptive mom had gotten cancer. And so they were put back into the system. And um, so we went through that process. We were not the chosen family. There was another family that was a better fit and we were so grateful. But that night, this is the story. So we're like food, stress eating. My husband goes to get Oreos for me and he goes to get a frozen pizza for him. Cause like, what do you do with like, you feel like you've been broken up with, right? Like that's what you do. And I, yes. kiss, I open my email while he's at the store and I get this little email about these two kids that are in the city in Missouri that sounded like it might be the one that was two hours away, but there were two of them and there was one that was four hours away, but surely, surely it'd be the two hours away version. No, they were four hours away. We put our name in, we got our license modified. They were a little younger than what we were looking for. And a week later we were told we were picked. So there was like no process. It was like, hey, you're moving in together. And that began what I thought was gonna be a four month path, uh, nine months in. It was looking very uncertain. So I started blogging, um, questioning why on earth did I not want to have biological children? And then uh, 18 months later, we ended up finalizing our adoption. And here we are now. So I've got a sixth and a seventh grader that are my kids that are 
just so amazing and willing to share their stories too, which I love. Like they make every school project, anytime they can talk about foster care adoption, they try, even though their teachers are like, that's a little complicated. And they're like, yeah, and it's my story. So therefore I should tell it. Right. So that's I, a little, little peppering. I that. love that. I look at you, you're raising these kids who are like wanting to also change the world. I love it. So I have a question. I'm an adoptive mom. Um, our adoptions were independent or private adoptions. And I'm kind of wondering what role does an agency play in a foster care system adoption? Cause sometimes you hear about these being two separate paths, but it sounds like there's a way that they maybe kind of come together. Could you help us understand that a little better? Yeah, they do come together sometimes. However, this is like where the work that I do in this space is like a mystery because people have that exact question. Like, how do I even get started? Who do I go through? And I thought fostering was like just fostering to return the child to biological families, the only path. And it gets sticky because here's what happens on the other end. What happens on the other end is you contact the agency, state or private. You go to a website called adoptuskids.org. You can find your kind of like county, right? Like the local agency for you that does this. But sometimes if you call an agency and you say, hi, I've seen children online, the Heart Gallery, Adopt US Kids, you name it, I want, I want to pursue adopting them. Sometimes those agencies are so desperate for foster families that they will actually redirect you. And that's where this gets really complicated because if your goal is to adopt, which is what my goal was the entire time, like I had no interest in fostering. I admire people to do that. That was not my calling. Like I was not supposed to take and release. It was more like, care for a lifetime. Um, so there are agencies involved. There are state agencies. So a lot of times you're dealing with like children's division for your state or your city or your county. Um, but sometimes you're dealing with private agencies. I was licensed by a private agency, but the bottom line in any of these scenarios is you shouldn't be financially committing any money up front at all. Uh, foster care adoption is unique in that, that you won't pay for your licensing, your home study, uh, you might pay a little bit of legal fee. And when I say that, the data shows that it's between zero and $2,500 maximum that you'll spend from a financial perspective to pursue this route. And what's also interesting is once the child's adopted, what's not usually marketed is their health care is covered until age 18. So the financial burden is really minimal in this track. Yeah, I really appreciate you clarifying that. And I'm sure we'll link up to information that you have that can help kind of guide people through this that, that want to know more and kind of understand how to make this happen. Cause it does sound a little complicated. I call it 54 steps because it really, it feels that way. How many steps? 54. Oh my. Okay. Well tell us a little bit about your sweet kids that you adopted and how you have grown together as a family. Yeah. So I have a sixth and a seventh grader that's the same school this year, which is so nice <laughs> from a schedule perspective. Um, I, I'm married to an artist. He's an art teacher. So really early in, my kids have really drawn themselves. Like we've always had an art table for them. They now have individual desks. They can make way more things. My daughter initially was really into watercolor. Now she's like into like engineering things, which is so fun. Uh, my husband currently has an Etsy shop where he makes like 3d miniatures and paints them. So my son is like super following those tracks. He's like cutting these little pieces off and like painting these little, little people. Uh, when my, my son was little, he used to wake up from nap and my husband would be doing, be doing art and I would be kind of relaxing as well. And my son would come down and he would take little scraps of paper and he would make the most abstracts of things. Like I had this little crab. It was adorable pieces of 
or that he had glued together. So my kids are very creative in that way. Um, they're both in martial arts. Um, they just joined the youth group at our church, which is exciting because they're of the age that that's kind of a thing for them. But I think on the whole, like we we have built a lot of memories together. We we do a lot of just sharing life together. Um, and for us, that means real and raw things. So um, we cover real things, like what real names and body parts are and like real things in the world. Like that's just kind of the DNA of our family. But I will tell you one of the earliest memories I have of us when my kids moved in, um, my daughter was a week from her third birthday. And so we were trying to figure out like, well, what do you, what do, you do when you, we don't know their history enough to know their history, but we want to do something special. And we actually went, because um, you're local and the St. Louis Galleria has a Build-A-Bear store. And we thought, well, that'll be really sweet because like stuffed animals are cool and this can be kind of low key, but like super special. And we were so, my husband and I were so excited and we get to the mall and my kids froze. They froze because they had never seen an escalator before and they didn't know what to do. And so, cause they lived in like such a small community, the mall wasn't like a regular thing. And so that really memories was going and we eventually got down and went up the elevator on the way out. And uh, she made a little, my little pony, little animal, like big, big, I guess, big, build a bear. And then my son made a little um, toothless from how to train your dragon. So fun. I love hearing that. So, and then how old was your son when you, when they came to you because yeah, your daughter so was like almost that, three your son right. was four so they're about a year and a half apart they're biological, they are biological siblings, siblings. yeah okay yep they are and they are actually of hispanic descent so in the summertime when they get like super brown it's hilarious because i'm very pale <laughs> so i'm like oh look at our skin tones you guys look like you went out in the sun and i look like it got burnt awesome <laughs> My, kid, my kids are too, Marcy. My twin daughters get real tan. And then I have a son also adopted who's super pale. So we're just a sight to see <laughs> during the summer. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. Love I love it. hearing about like how you help them kind of feel comfortable, like in your home and grow together as a family. I'm sure there've been a lot of have there been some highs and lows? Like, tell us a little bit about some of the real like obstacles that you faced. Yeah, the, and those are real, right? Like in this space, they're real. Um, and I think that's that's even one of the spaces that I coach a lot in is fear of this space because there are unknowns and there are highs and there are lows. I know, as I explained earlier, our process went much longer than we were told. And because of how the process went, my kids would like, to me, it was a trigger to like go around biological family once a month because that was just where they were in their process. And we would have three weeks of progression and growth. And then they would have this trigger of revisiting biological family and they would come back like regressed in all of their independence and skills. And I could tell you, like there were moments that I was in my master bathroom on the floor just crying. And I was crying because it was so hard to watch kids that had no control and had no idea what was going on. It was just natural to them, right? It was just the reaction of things to them. Um, so those are some of the more challenging in the heat of the process moments. Uh, since then, I mean, we've, we're very open with our kids about their story. I mean, they're, they're older, like it's not as the bras, they were adopted, or like they, they understand that, but there are details that uh, we sometimes don't disclose to them, but we're very honest about like, hi, I actually know the answer. Like, for instance, one is like, what was my last name? I know the answer to that. My husband knows the answer to that, but I will tell my kids like, just for your 
for your good, dad and I don't want to tell you that right now. You have access to a tablet for school. We don't want you wasting time doing that. We don't want you contacting the wrong people. And not that like your life is threatened per se, but maybe let's not waste our emotional energy in that space. But we also open the dialogue of, but if you disagree with us and you want to challenge that, like we want to welcome you and invite you into like talking through your story because it is your story. It's not ours. Um, so some other pieces of that, I mean, adoption comes with post-traumatic stress disorder. Adoption comes with behavior pieces adoption comes with attachment my daughter really early in um she they so just to give you a picture we were my okay my kids were as I mentioned were almost three and four we were the seventh family they'd lived with seventh and so as you can imagine if you're in that story right that's your story that you've moved around so much you don't have a lot of routine in your life um you don't have a lot of understanding of social skills right and so a couple things for us that we had to hit really early on was helping our kids understand that like your birthday happens every year and holidays, they happen every year. So we actually didn't calendar on our fridge with this little cute turtle magnet that we would move down the calendar because they just didn't understand that like this actually happens again next year. And this happened last year, but they just didn't have any sort of regularity to understand that. Um, and in the same vein, my daughter um, had been around so many different kinds of adults over that time that she didn't understand appropriateness as it related to strangers. And so anyone that would come in the door, she'd want to sit in their lap right away. And so we had to do a lot with our play therapist just, and it wasn't her fault, right? Like she didn't know, um, but we needed to teach her a lot of those like physical boundaries around like, okay, it's cool for mom and dad to hold you, but maybe let's be a little less quick to be in people's laps. I guess those are the things that you don't really think about, but I think it's really important for people to learn. I think there's a lot of things that we take for granted that we don't realize a lot of these learned behaviors or these learned things. So I just think it's amazing that you were able to teach them that and to help them have some sort of regularity or what am I trying to say? Like routine and yes, their life for sure. Okay. So what would your encouragement or advice be to other adoptive couples? Like I'm sure you've had people say, Marcy, I want to adopt. I don't know what to do or where to go but how do I start this 54 step process? Right. Because it is right. But, and, that, and that's the challenge, right? Like it, it feels so complicated that we don't even want to get started. And it's weird because unlike our taxes that are like, we're required to file them. So we figure it out. Right. In this situation, you can just opt out and be like, whatevs. Right. And I often compare this to, and we've all probably been there. You're in the grocery store, right. And someone else got in the other lane and you got in the one with the slow cashier and you're like miffed, right. Cause you're like, <laughs> I don't understand. They're already gone. I was here first. And like, you're mad and you can change lanes. Right. But that's what yes. happens in this foster care adoption space is that most often it feels like you picked the wrong lane because the paperwork is lost because emotionally it's rough because you thought it was going to move fast and it's the government. And so it's the slowest thing. Right. And so my encouragement for folks the first thing I usually start with is helping people talk through their intentions and like where they are. Cause one of the biggest things, so again, it is, this, you can be single and adopt. You don't have to be in a relationship. So I, you know, I have a lot of single friends that have gone through this on my podcast and shared their story. But one of the things that I think is like baseline to before you ever toe into, I need to get a licensing agency. It's really a lot about like, am I ready for this? Am I willing to stick this out. And sometimes, and for my own story, this triggered, like, I need to go through some therapy for some stuff that I need to unpack because I'm not ready to be ready to be a mom, you know? And it, for me, the story in there was so helpful because I thought, you know, if I can go through this for my own good, 
it's going to help me be a mom that tells my kids therapy's great. And here's the name of my therapist. And it's cool. Like, it's so okay to talk about like, what are the things we're dealing with? Right. And, and, it, and I think it did, because we went through a lot of play therapy. My husband has a therapist. And so it became this normalized thing that it's not like this, oh, this is like, we don't talk about it. Or it's like only for people that like really need help. It's like, no, this is like a normal part of our health. Um, so that, that was big. And so I people who want to go through this part of it's understanding what is the process. Uh, I've written that all down for you into a 90 page book or a 90 minute audio book. It's at the library. It's on Amazon at Target. Um, I'm actually launching an app later here in national adoption month called the forgotten adoption option app. And it's really like, we actually make my developers are counting. It, it's probably going to be 54 steps because it like really feels that way. We got all broken down as like a to-do list. Um, and some of that is just seeing, you know, what can you do while you're waiting, whether that's putting together a family book, whether that's thinking through and understanding some of those safety things that the state's going to make you do. Like I had to put outlet covers and all the outlets in my home. I had to put a fire extinguisher on every level of my home. Um, so really for people, it's stick it out and remember that even if you're in the line, you feel like you're in the line with that cashier that you wish you wouldn't have gotten in their line, remembering that it has nothing to do with the cashier and it's everything to do with who you're doing this for. And I think that's the biggest encouragement in this space is it's always got to be who you're trying to help and fighting so hard for these kids that don't get to speak up for themselves and sticking it out because they're worth it. Oh, I really appreciate you saying that it is so worth it. And I think, um, I haven't waited in this same space exactly, but waiting to adopt, if there are things, there's so much that you can't control, but the things that you can control, like you said, like any type of preparation or movement that you can do sometimes just helps you kind of from going crazy right? <laughs> um, in the waiting process. So that's, that's such incredible advice. Yeah, I agree. I, I think just keeping your eye on what's important and what you want at the end is so important. So thanks for, thanks for that advice. That's really good. Okay. What do you want people to know about adoption through foster care? Because I love that your, I love the name of your podcast, your book. Is that the name of your book also? The Forgotten? I actually have two books. Yeah. The first book is The Forgotten Adoption Option. Just this past May, National Foster Care Month, I published a children's book called All You Are Forever Family. And the intention of this is really to help encourage people to think about adopting at whatever age, right? Like you could be a child reading this and thinking I will adopt one day, or you might convince your parents we should adopt right now. I want a sibling, right? So, but yeah, that is the name of my, my, my good book that really parses out the different steps. Yeah. I love that. That's what it's called because so many times people are saying, you know, they want to adopt um, a baby, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I really do think that foster care or adopting through foster care is really the forgotten option. And so tell us uh, a little bit more about what you want people to know about, about adopting through foster care. And, and then you can even go into like, what is your mission? Like, what is your purpose in life besides being a mom to those two beautiful kids? Yeah. Well, and I think you hit the first one's actually one of the most common things I hear people say is like, Marcy, I read through your stuff and you didn't tell me how to adopt a baby. And I'm like, uh, it's actually very intentional because you can't do that in foster care. That's it, right? I mean, you can't, like, if you want to sign up to foster, like, by all means, please sign up to foster and make that your intention, okay? Like, just go do it, and you might end up with a baby, and you might get to adopt your baby. Those stories happen, right? But if you're like me, and you're like, I want to keep the kids forever, you need to sign up to adopt, and you need to do that. Like, you need, don't, don't, don't pretend you're fostering to adopt. Like, please don't do that. Like, that's, that's not good for everyone at all, and not even good for you. Um, but I think my encouragement is really about understanding 
especially in the foster care space, this, this has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with financial burden. Like I know so many people say, well, I've always wanted to adopt, but I couldn't afford it. This is not the situation for that. This is not like the, the most you're going to spend money on is renovating your home. Maybe you need to put a bed in or a bedroom or you need to move, whatever the thing is, that's the most expensive financial part of this process. The really big investment of you as a human being in this process is the emotional side. It's the emotional side that allows children to heal and, and connects them with the resources they need to thrive. And that's, and not that like that isn't true for any other path for adoption, but in the foster care space, you're dealing with kids that have either gone into the system because of abuse, neglect, or death. Um, so for instance, death would be, I had a family on my podcast where seven siblings, their biological parents got in a car wreck and there was no next of kin. So that's a story of, death like they they had no family to go to um abuse and neglect can be anything it can be and you can imagine <laughs> like any any anything in between there um and i've heard people say that sometimes neglect is actually harder to heal from than abuse because you've had a lack of something i don't know if that's true i know my my own kids journey we've had to deal with that in different ways and so i think if people are thinking well i don't know if i could do this or can i do this i've had people ask even earlier this year some a woman i was giving a presentation she said marcy my biggest challenge is I wonder, I have my own mental health issues. How do I know that I could even do this for someone else? And I helped her see you're actually more qualified than anyone else because you're even talking about that and you're acknowledging that. And man, how great for these kids to be able to grow up in a family that knows that you're not perfect too. Like you're you're getting the help you need as a human being on this planet. And so I think those are some some key pieces. I think the others are just seeing that the community is really set up to support you in these scenarios. The, the, the country has set up the system so well. I mentioned earlier that healthcare insurance is covered. I didn't know, my daughter I mentioned was almost three. So we we thought we needed kids that were school-aged, but they were pre And we learned that there's actually a list in every state where you get free childcare. So we weren't even paying for preschool bills. It was insane. And we're like, we didn't know this was part of the process. Um, because my kids were under age five, we actually enrolled them in food stamps. So like, that's kind of different and interesting, but there's other ways that like they're taken care of from a financial perspective. So really your investment as the parent is to walk through life with them, right? And to help them unpack their stories. There's a really important term that I'll, this is kind of my final point I'll make here that we learned in training and it's called an invisible suitcase. And an invisible suitcase is this idea that kids who have been in foster care, and it could be anything else too, but the way we were taught it was kids that are in foster care, as they are moving from home to home to home, they're bringing with them this invisible suitcase. So it's not their physical clothing and hygiene products, their belongings. It's this like suitcase of, of trauma and feelings and background and history. And part of the beauty in the foster care space is you get to help kids un unleash that and and do things with that. But the challenge is sometimes they don't have the words for it. Sometimes it hurts <laughs> to take things out of that suitcase. And sometimes it's not the right time. And sometimes it comes out in anger. Sometimes it comes out in addiction. Like it can come out so many ways. And I think that's to encourage people to understand that if your heart is in a spot of, I just want to help. And I don't know how to answer all those things Marcy just said, that kind of scares me a little bit, but man, I know that I I could help walk someone through that and I wouldn't be afraid to ask for help to connect them to the resources they need. That's really all this is about. It's just helping. And then the piece, the second question you said was more about like, what, what's my purpose? So I, I, I live in a home where my two bedrooms have my kids in them and I would love to own, like my husband and I joked early and he was 
like, how many kids do you really want? And I was like, well, how many can we fit? Like, how big of a house? And he was like, so do you want like a bus? And I'm like, that sounds great. Like, I would love, how do we do that? And he just thought it was the funniest thing. But I'm like, no, like, I really, I came from a giant family. Um, I have three siblings of my own, but I have like 50 cousins on either side of my family. It's just a huge family. And I love that. And for me, I, I would love to have a home where I could have 115,000 kids, which is not feasible. Like we know that's not good from other things we've seen in history, right? But in my heart, I'm like, I want to be like Madeline. Like I want all the kids to live in a building and to be loved and cared for and to feel what family feels like. And I, I personally can't do that. Like I can't find that home and it's not good for everyone, right? But what I can do is I can teach people what I've learned and I can teach people, to me, this this forgotten option, right? It's I didn't know this was even a thing when we were thinking about adoption. And in fact, I didn't know there were so many kids that were in this system kind of stuck waiting and many of them age out. And we've maybe all heard some of the, the data and statistics that go around aging out. This is the preventative to that. Like we need to find them families well before they're 18. And so my, my mission really is to help find and train other families. That is so incredible. These kids, your kids are so lucky to have you. And, um, I'm just so grateful that there's a spokesperson out there because they're, you know, these, these children didn't choose to be in this particular situation. Um, they need a voice. They can't be that for themselves. So I'm so grateful that they have you and hopefully so many others who are looking to find them the sense of belonging and identity and love and acceptance that you can only have within a home and family. I'm kind of interested in how you view your own like unique, special motherhood and parenthood. Like I, for example, I'm an adoptive mom and a few of my kids have different special needs. And that's like really impacted my motherhood and what it means to me. And this is a unique motherhood that you've chosen. What does it mean to you? How does it look different? What do you love about it? What has it taught you? I'm just kind of interested. I super love this question. And I love your previous comment too about, you know, these kids advocating for them. And I'll tell you, my my kids, they're they're the heroes in the story to me. Like they're the ones that they went through all of this and in turn, like they're not ashamed and they're excited to share that. Right. I remember when I got an adoption option, this this option right on the back to do you put what do you put the author photo? Is it a headshot? And I was like, but this isn't a headshot, like this is a family story. And so I went to both of my kids and I was like, look this is your person. Like, I don't post you on social hardly ever. And if I do, I ask you. And so how do you feel about a family photo going on the back? And my son, who at the time, gosh, he was probably like 10. He looked at me and he's such a compassionate child. He said, mom, do you think that if my picture goes on there, that it's going to help a kid get adopted? And I looked at him and I was like, I do. I absolutely do. Because when you put a face to what these kids look like, it helps people see how normal they are. And he was like, well, then you have to put my face on there. <laughs> like, it was just the sweetest thing. And I think I, I mentioned that story because to me, my motherhood story, I mean, I, I elected to adopt. I have people that were like, why didn't you have biological kids first? I'm like, cause I didn't want to, like, that wasn't, well, did you try? Does it matter? Like, maybe I didn't want to, like, just let me kind of do my own thing. And so to me, it's really about helping people see the possibility in themselves, but at the same time, celebrating the strengths of how different people are. And some of that, like I mentioned, I'm married to an artist. And so we're really big on like, okay, your strength is over in this space. Let's celebrate that. And look at that. Like my son is such an intuitive feeler and he's so good at that. 
And my daughter is very much an academic and loves the achievement of that. And there's nothing wrong with them having completely different strengths, right? Does it mean my son can't be a good student? No, not at all. But like that doesn't drive his world. Like what drives his world is meeting people with different challenges. I remember he told me a story about this girl he had met that talked about being schizophrenic. And he explained to me how she just taught you about it. And I said, okay, bud, so how did you respond to that? And I thought, okay, this is going to go so many I don't know what he's going to say. And he said, well, mom, she told me that, I was like, I didn't know what schizophrenia was. So I asked her and she mentioned that she could see and hear things that other people couldn't. And he's like, I hadn't heard of this before. And I said, what did you say to her when she said that? He said, well, I asked her what she saw and I asked her to describe it to me. And to me, like, that's my motherhood journey is like helping my kids empathize with others and see things the way they go through it. Like we just tonight were wrapping up the evening, eating some sugar cookies, because why not on a Sunday night, right? And we were talking about just different kids that our family has cared for before our own children. Because I was like, just so you guys know, like you actually weren't applied wrong. And that's part of our story. And that's part of how we can teach other families. Part of the app that I'm writing has like a frequently asked questions piece. So it kind of bubbled out of all of that. But it's like, to see and to hear the stories of other kids who have been in our care what can that teach them? You know, who do they go to school with? And maybe there's something going on that they don't know about at school that can help them be a better friend or help connect someone to help, right? In a way that maybe other people completely overlook. So for me, motherhood is is so much about equipping my kids to live life beyond themselves, right? That it's not like, yes, we want to celebrate ourselves and we love accomplishing things and we love doing the things, but what can we be doing to encourage other people and help affirm what's inside of them to come out? Because so many of us are afraid, right? Like I was afraid to go in the pageant world and I try to get out of it. And yet I have these friends and family that are like, oh, you totally should just do this. Like, I get why you want the spotlight. I think these kids are deserving. Don't you think you should learn the skill? And I'm like, yeah, but it's going to be uncomfortable, right? But can we live in that discomfort? And, and maybe help someone in the process. Like that's a huge part of my life. I just feel like you were just such a good example of doing what you were meant to do on this earth, like just living in it and being uncomfortable, but getting out there to help these kids. And that is such a, just a great example of just doing what you're passionate about. So I applaud you for that. So Marcy, where, where can people find you? How can people connect with you? How, where do they listen to on your podcast? How can they connect with you through Instagram or what other platforms are you on? Yeah, I highly encourage, like reach out and you can ask anything. It's okay. I don't usually post public stuff. I'm like the super big details, but you are welcome to ask anything in, in any way. Um, I'm on Facebook, on LinkedIn and Instagram is Marcy Bursack. You can also find the forgotten adoption option on those platforms as well. My podcast is all over the place. It's on Anchor and Apple and Spotify and basically anywhere you're listening to a podcast, I'm probably there. Um, I do monthly episodes really focused. My first season was on adopted children and adoptive parents. You got some great perspective on people that have gone through this journey. My current season is on the how, so how to find waiting children online, how to go look at those profiles, how to know you're ready. Um, or just a couple examples of some content that's come out this year. So yeah, you can find me any of those places. And I'm eager to just help you decipher, help you kind of find the information you need. I know one of the most common things is people don't know how to get licensed. And I can certainly help you do that. And many people are like, well, I tried, but this organization told me they can't do the kind of demographic I'm in. And I want to help you find the right organization so that you can, you know, push through that cashier and, and really fight for these children who are so deserving of your love. Thank you. And then what are the names of your books? 
Oh, sure. So my adult book is called The Forgotten Adoption Option. The subtitle is a self-reflective and how-to guide for pursuing adoption. So I mentioned earlier, it's a 90-minute audiobook. It's also a 90-page paperback book. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, you name it. Same places. Um, I have a children's book called Are You a Forever Family? And it is only in paperback and ebook. I didn't see a reason to really audiobook a children's book. Um, but it's got beautiful, bright pictures. It was inspired by the work of Todd Parr, who your listeners may be familiar with, who wrote things like Be Who You Are and the Mommy and the Daddy book. I have a lot of vibrant pictures really celebrating the uniqueness of families that adopt. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. I have learned a lot. I almost want to try and figure out how to talk Jared into adopting. Uh, <laughs> just, just kidding. Just kidding, Jared. <laughs> no, it's really inspiring. I really do hope that our listeners are able to maybe realize that maybe this is a path that they want to go down. And I just hope that they learned a lot. I know that I did. And I'm sure that Jessica did. So thank you so much for being with us tonight, Marcy. Yeah, thrilled to be here. Thanks for shining a light on children who are just waiting and hoping for their forever family. It really means a lot. Do you or someone you know have an adoption story to share? Please reach out to us at bridgingthegapwithlove22 at gmail.com. We'd love to share your story. 